Okay, uh, we're, we're on the downhill side of this uh, marriage series. And uh, in case you haven't been here every week, I'm going to do a, a very quick recap. Uh, we started the first, uh, the first week in this, and we talked about, when you think about our marriages, we have to start with the right pieces, like the kind of the main building blocks of our marriage, which is really three things. The first is the foundation for our marriages, which is God's Word. And what God's words, how God defines marriage is how we should define marriage. And God defines marriage as a covenant and not a contract. A contract basically says, uh, you do this and I'll stay with you, do this wrong and I'm out. A covenant says, we are in this together. We are one. That's the foundation for marriage, how God defines marriage. Second, we talked about the fountain for marriage, where if the foundation is that we're not going anywhere, the fountain is the gospel, which means even though I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, we are saved by grace in this fountain of the gospel coming in our lives, being real to us, allows us to persevere with joy with each other, that, that our fountain for our marriage is the gospel. The last kind of building block, the last piece in our marriage is this right here, which is the focus of our marriage. The focus is not our happiness. It's not just having kids. The focus of marriage is to display the glory of God, to display God's love through our marriage. That, um, that our kids, if you have kids, that our neighbors, our family should see a picture of God's love through our marriage. So the pieces of a marriage are the foundation, God's word, the fountain, the gospel, and the focus, God's love and glory. Then we talked about the reality though. Here's the reality. Those are the building blocks, correct? But the reality is this right here, is that you and me, we are both sinners saved by grace. Basically, we are both, in our marriages, it's two sinners who just said, I do, right? And the greatest enemy in your marriage, the greatest problem in your marriage is not your spouse, it's your sin. That is the greatest enemy that we must focus on in our marriage. And then last, we talked about how we put these beliefs in action. If we have these pieces, if we know that we're sinners, and, and then we know the reality is that every day in our marriage, there's communication and there's conflict, correct? There's communication and there's conflict. Let me make sure I'm recording here. All right. There's communication. There's conflict. So how do we navigate those things? It's through wisdom. By using wisdom and practicing wisdom in our marriage, we can take steps in this. So we talked about kind of three ways that we walk through a conflict in our marriage. The first is wisdom. Wisdom is the default kind of way to practice life in marriage, using wisdom, putting our beliefs that God saved us, but we're still sinners, putting our beliefs into action. The second thing we need in the midst of communication and conflict in every day is mercy. That's today's focus, is mercy in marriage. That we must practice mercy. Listen to this. Mercy, mercy is the sweetener in our life with Christ and in our marriages. It's the sweetener. This also raises an important question for us. Hear this. Do you, do you know God as a God of mercy? Like you personally. Is to you, has God shown mercy to you? Do you see your spouse as God sees him or her through eyes of mercy? Or 
do we perceive God as a God of judgment? Do we see our spouse through eyes of judgment? If your answer to either one of those questions is no, it's highly unlikely that your marriage is very sweet. You might have some good pieces in place, but it's not sweet. Mercy sweetens the marriage. Where mercy is absent, what happens is people just all the time are harping on the wrong things in their spouse's life. They're kind of flogging each other over and over and over. But where it's present, marriage grows sweeter and more delightful. And here's the thing. The focus of our marriage is to display God's glory and love, right? And this sweetness brings love and charity and grace to the surface so that the world can see what love looks like. So I, I, I don't drink coffee, which for a lot of folks is like really weird. I mean, I will drink it, but I'm not like a fan of it necessarily. So maybe once a month I'm going to have a cup of coffee. But I do drink sweet tea. And every once in a while, don't laugh at me, guys. Every once in a while, I'll be at Nukes or I'll be somewhere and I'll get a, a sweet tea. And they give it to me and it's unsweet tea. And that is like the worst thing in the world, right? You, you, you just want that sweetness and it comes up and it's just bitter old tea. Mercy, don't laugh at me. Mercy is the sweetener in marriage. Think about this. Have you ever thought that passing along God's mercy may be one of the main reasons you were married? That passing along God's mercy is one of the main reasons that you were married. It's not the presence of differences, but the absence of mercy that makes these things irreconcilable. We all have stuff. We all have sin. We all have annoying habits. We all do, right? Those things are not, irrec- are not like impossible to get, get, get past. But without mercy, they can be. See, mercy it doesn't change the need to speak truth. But it transforms. Here's the key. We still speak truth in marriage, but this transforms the motivation from a desire to win battles and control things and judge things to a desire to represent Christ. It takes us. It takes me out of the center and it puts Christ in the center. But this requires mercy. This requires mercy. Let's go to Luke 6. It's be our main text for the day. Luke 6, verse 27. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
for even sinners do the same. I already hear it. You hear this about loving your enemies and you think to myself, this hardly describes my marriage. Like my spouse is not my enemy. I'm hoping you say that right now. Um, enemies don't get married. You don't have two enemies say, you know, let's go get married. We, we say I do. That, that doesn't happen. It doesn't. I understand that. So what does this passage have to do with marriage? Here's what I say. It has everything to do with marriage. Because this passage, because Christ is showing the comprehensive, mind-blowing reach of mercy. By addressing these just terrible and grievous scenarios of the enemy, he is setting the bar for normal life. Because if you know how to deal with your committed enemies, right? Like your real, the ones who actually hate you and you might hate back. Your committed enemies, right? If you know how to deal with them, then we know how to deal with our occasional enemies. Which if we're honest, our spouses are our occasional enemies, correct? In the day in and day out. When you can extend mercy to the spiteful, to the violent, to the selfish, to the wicked, then you can extend it to the spouse who might annoy you, ignore you, and who will always disappoint you, correct? Now listen, I, this has to be said. This is not a license for you to like be abused. Hope we know that. If there is emotional or physical abuse, that is not okay. The greatest act of mercy in that point is for that person to be caught in their sin. To let someone else see that they are a sinner and come to repentance through grace, right? So this is not turn the other cheek where you're getting beat by your spouse. That's not what I'm saying here. But in the day in, day out of spousal annoyances, spousal sins, and spousal disappointments, we can learn much from how God tells us to love our enemies. Listen to this. Mercy is given. Mercy is given to you to be shared. Everybody close your eyes for a moment. This can be a little weird. That's okay. Let's all close our eyes. And this is just you and God for a moment. I want you to think about your 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life and all of the grievous sins you have sinned against God. The grievous thoughts you have had against others and God that no one knows about, but God does. We sit here and think that's a long, long, embarrassing list. We can open our eyes. And I want to remind you that God has shown great mercy to you. This laundry list that we all have that we would just die if, if there's a PowerPoint of our thoughts on this right here, right? I'm out at that moment. I'm moving to like Arkansas or something if that comes out, right? But God sees every single one of our wicked thoughts, our wicked actions that no one else sees. And God has shown mercy, mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And he has shown us mercy for us to then to go and show mercy to others. And the greatest mercy recipient in your life is your spouse. Because you see their sin at your second place to God, so to speak, right? Of course, God sees way more than we see, but we're second place to God. So we receive mercy to share mercy. And when mercy touches, it sweetens. We pass on what we receive. We pass along the steadfast love 
the unexplainable kindness of God and the overflowing compassion. We sinned against God, but He responded with mercy. We're called to go and do the same. All right, so, how, so this is hopefully you're with me. So how do we, like in the day, how do we on Tuesday show mercy to each other? Got two kind of practices today. The first practice, we show mercy before the fact. Mercy before the fact, we practice kindness. We, we, we show mercy before the fact, we practice kindness. One of the amazing things about God is that he sees every sin and every sinful thought, and we still, yet still, he responds to us in love. God loves sinners. In spite of all their sin, he loves them. He pursues us. Uh, the great picture that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, this son who had done everything wrong against the father. He comes back. The father is waiting with open arms to throw him a party. It's this picture of just unexplainable love and compassion and mercy. Quick reminder, what leads us to repentance is God's kindness. Romans 2, you've heard it said before, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The purpose of God's kindness is not for us to keep going, to, to keep sinning, but it leads to repentance. Listen, what, what Paul is saying here is that God's kindness, that kindness is his weapon to turn us to repentance. We don't wait to be sinned against and then try to respond with mercy. Rather, we adopt the posture, the posture, the practice of being willing to experience sin against us. We lean into this as a part of building a God-glorifying marriage in a fallen world. Kindness says this to your spouse. I know you're a sinner just like me, and you will sin against me. That's a reality in our marriage. Just like I sin against you. Yes and amen, correct? But I refuse. I refuse to live defensively with you. I'm going to live leaning in your direction with a merciful posture that your sin and weakness cannot erase. This phrase here, I refuse to live defensively. defensively. I'm going to lean in to mercy. In your marriage most days, here's a question. What are you leaning into? Are you leaning into that you're the judge, the jury, the executioner in your marriage, or are you leaning into kindness? Are you leaning into mercy? Because you know that you're going to sin against your spouse and your spouse is going to sin against you, correct? So what are we leaning into? But here's the deal. If you're like me, um, I don't just ooze kindness. I don't. Do you ooze kindness? If you do, just be quiet. Um, kindness does not originate in us. Like we don't like, you know, we have blue eyes, right? We don't just have kindness as a, like a trait. It does, it's not birthed in us. It's only birthed in Christ. We see this in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. When we have the roots of faith, the roots of faith in Christ, what it produces is fruit. And we do this all the time. If you look at the fruit in your life, if it's rotten fruit, 
Don't just try to like trade for other rotten fruit, but you need to go back to the roots of what you're believing, the roots of what you're living on. And those roots, if they're unhealthy, will, will produce unhealthy fruit. But if the roots are rooted in Christ, it will produce this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those fruits, right there, imagine those fruits lived out in your marriage. A marriage where people can see of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That marriage displays the glory of God, right? But many times our rotten fruit is displaying something else. So kindness doesn't start or originate in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So hear this. Here's a practice we talked about last week. We have to... We have to find wisdom, find life in the secret place. We have to, as, as Christ followers, as disciples, as people who say that we have faith and love for Jesus, we have to learn how to abide, remain, sit in God's kindness. When we can abide in God's kindness towards us, then it will lead to us practicing kindness in our marriages. But for many of us, that idea of abiding in God's kindness is not a practice of our lives. Because abiding in God's kindness, it's not simply just reading Scripture 10 minutes a day. It's not simply praying for two minutes. It's not simply going to church. Those are all a part of this. But I will tell you, abiding in God's kindness is something deeper than those things. Abiding in God's kindness, how do I say this? Is pushing everything in your life to the side. For me, this is how it looks. So I, I realized something and, and to, to practice kindness, right? Like to practice kindness in my marriage. And I was having lunch with Dave this week, we talked about this, me and Dave did. Uh, how do I practice kindness in my marriage? Well, I realized like the most tense part of our marriage in the life of our family is from like 6.30 to 7.15, Monday through Friday. Watch the teacher. It's, it's, it's the breakfast, getting dressed, teeth brushed, out the door. is like just the, the most, the hardest part of the day. And um, full disclosure, uh, we're all sinners here, right? Or we all have flaws. I, I like to sleep. I do. I do. I like to sleep. But here's what I realized. If I don't rise before my family does, two things happen. The first is I, I don't have time to abide in, in Christ's kindness. Here's the deal. I can get up at 6, 6 a.m. and I can read scripture for 10 minutes. I can do that. I can pray for two minutes. I can check those things off the list. But in those things, I am getting through something, I'm not sitting and abiding in the love and kindness of God. Does that make sense? And when that happens, I don't have the wherewithal to practice kindness or even the time to practice kindness. So the past month or so, um, it's been 5 a.m. for me. So 5 to like 545 is when I abide in God's kindness. When I rise early and I read a psalm, I don't rush through the psalm. I read a 10-verse psalm for 10 minutes. And I meditate on the words of God. 
if you think about it for a moment, that the words of God, these were written thousands of years ago by all kinds of people in all kinds of situations that God has woven together for his word to us today. That is miraculous. And so I take time to feast on God's word. And, and then I try to just sit in the presence of God. So I had a, I had, um, I had a parenting moment the other, uh, the other day. It was a parenting win. Um, I heard a sermon by a pastor in New York talking about uh, our goal for our kids shouldn't be just to like read scripture to them or to teach them about God. Those are all good things. But uh, we should teach them to, to learn how to be in the presence of God, to teach our kids how to simply abide in God's kindness. I was like, well, that's that. What is what is that? And so the other night we had our devotion, me and the, the boys, not Hattie, we just put her to bed. And um, <laughs> don't judge us. And, uh, and I sit there with the boys, and uh, this is really weird. Uh, I said, all right, guys, let's hold hands for a moment. And we held hands. And, and my, my son Connor, my youngest, is like, what's going on here? He's like, done. He's not, he's, my son Hayes is a, is a sap like me, so he's all about this. And we hold hands, and I was like, okay, we just read about God's love in our Bible. We're going to just sit here and we're going to just close our eyes and we're going to think about God's love for us. And how in Ephesians it says that his love, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of his love is so complete for us. We're going to think on this love. And we sat there for about two minutes, which I couldn't believe they sat there quietly. I couldn't believe it. And we opened our eyes and my son, hey, he could have been lying to me. I have no idea. But he said, Daddy, God told me he loved me. And it was in that moment that I was reminded that at the end of the day, what me and you all need when we abide with God is for simply to be reminded and believe that God loves us. And so as we learn to abide in that kind of kindness, and then we have the wherewithal, the fruits of practicing kindness in our lives, in our marriages. But if we are never abiding in God's kindness, hear this, we're never going to produce the fruit and practice kindness in our marriages. That's the first practice, is to practice kindness before the fact. Second, mercy when under attack. Mercy in the midst of the fight. We do this. We do unto others. I think this section will be highly practical for us today. Here's the question I have. What do you do? How do you respond when you are in the middle of it? And by it, I mean the screaming, the fighting, the crying, the drama. What are you doing in the middle of that? And this means two things. It could be the one fight by itself. What are you doing in the middle of that, of that, that, that huge fight? Or second, what are you doing in the middle of a season of fight and conflict? Because both are true. We have all experienced seasons in our marriages where it's just like day after day there's conflict, right? What are you doing? How are you responding? And here's the response from Christ, to do unto others. Paul Tripp says this. It's a great quote. In personal ministry, which in all of our marriages, that's personal ministry. The sin of the person you are helping will eventually be revealed in your relationship. If you are ministering to an angry person, at some point, that anger will be directed at you. 
If you're helping a person who struggles with trust, at some point, she will distrust you. A manipulative manipula person will seek to manipulate you. A depressed person will tell you he tried everything, but you suggested and it didn't work. Listen, you can't stand next to a puddle without eventually being splashed by its mud. Here's my question. How muddy are you right now in your marriage? Your spouse's struggle will come out against you at some point in your marriage. It will. Go back to Luke 631 real quick. I want to look at this again. Jesus says here, we've heard this before, the golden rule, right? And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. What you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Remember, this is in the context of talking about enemies. So Jesus here is giving us instruction on how to react when under attack. He's given us instruction on how we're supposed to kind of process and react when someone attacks us. Reminder, we are always passing along the mercy that we first received in Christ. All right, here are some highly practical ways that we can practice doing unto others in our marriages. And I'll say these slow. First thing, remind yourself that your greatest enemy is your own sin. In the midst of the attack, in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the conflict, remind yourself that your greatest enemy is your own sin. Next way we do this, in the middle of the conflict, ask this question of each other. What behavior of mine expresses anger or a lack of love for you? What behavior of mine expresses anger or a lack of love for you? Now, what your spouse's answer is, take this and just do the opposite. Take it and do the opposite. Do unto others. Third way. Resist being the defense attorney and fire the prosecutor as well. Just get rid of all the lawyers in your, in your own head, right? The defense attorney and the prosecutor. You know, a lot of us at our weddings had 1 Corinthians 13 read. A lot of folks did. That's a great, beautiful passage. You should read it. Um, but practice that in your marriage, right? Fourth one. This is good. Memorize and apply the words in the book of James. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Amen. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Last, where patterns of sin remain, when there's still sin ongoing in your heart and your spouse's heart, call in outside counsel from, from friends, pastors, and professional counselors. All three of those things are a great gift to us in the church in our own sins.
And, and, here, and here is why this idea of showing mercy is so important. You know, I share with you guys about getting up early and, and trying to abide in God's kindness. Uh, this past Friday, I did not do that. I kind of got up like at 5.30, got in the shower, kind of read for a minute, but there was no abiding in God's kindness. And I was short with my kids, with my wife. It's Friday. Like spring break is starting, right? Like it should be a joyful time. And there is this kind of like in my household, this like sense of just uh, a lack of joy, a, la- a lack of just sweetness in my household. And my wife, who got home, had to show mercy to me, right? And her showing mercy led me to repent, her kindness, her love, and it simply was, are, are, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was, oh, okay, yep, I'm off here. That right there, right? That kindness led me to repentance because I, I have great goals, right, to rise and abide and be this perfect picture of a father. There's one perfect father, isn't there? That's our father in heaven. And so, but my wife helped me, push me towards Christ through showing me mercy in the midst of my laziness, my sinfulness, and my foolishness, right? She could have said, you didn't get up early this morning. God, why are you so lazy? Why did you go off? You're, why, why are you so selfish? She, she, could, she would have been right to do that, right? But it would have done us no good. That's an unsweet tea kind of marriage that nobody wants. And if you like unsweet tea, I'm not judging you. I'm not. I promise I'm not. But I kind of am. And so um, here's the thing. Here's the big thing as we practice mercy, what happens in our lives and our marriage, is it kills self-righteousness. Because in our marriages, there could be the sweetness of mercy or the bitterness of self-righteousness in our marriages, right? Self-righteousness is this right here. It's a sense of moral superiority that appoints us as the prosecutor of other people's sinfulness. In this, we relate to others as if we are incapable of the sins they commit. Self-righteousness wages war against mercy. And how we respond when we think we have been sinned against can reveal our self-righteousness. Here's the tell, right? Here's how we can tell if this is us. It's when we become judge, prosecutor, the court reporter, and the jury. Whenever we assign motive to our spouse, whenever we record our spouse's wrongdoings, we present our case against our spouse, and finally, when we judge our spouse. That's when we know that we have entered into self-righteousness, when we're the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, the court reporter. When we're all those things, we have entered into self-righteousness. And we're going to end with just with six ways to battle self-righteousness. Just really just six questions. First question, am I self-confident that I see the supposed facts clearly? Am I self-confident that I see the supposed facts clearly? Second, am I quick to assign motives when I feel I've been wronged? (laughs) Am I quick to assign motives when I feel I've been wronged? 
No one here does that, right? We're all good, right? That's, that's not on us. Next, do I find it easy to build a case against someone that makes me seem right and them seem wrong? Do I find it easy to build a case against someone that makes me seem right and him or her seem wrong? Last two. There's only five, sorry. Am I overly concerned about who is to blame for something? Oh my, that's a tough one. Am I overly concerned about who is to blame for something? Basically, are you always worried about who's right and who's wrong? Or whose fault it was? Last one. Am I able to dismiss questions like these as, as irrelevant? Am I able to dismiss questions like these as irrelevant? Which means I don't need stuff like this. What is the thing that you're adding in your marriage? Is it the sweetener of mercy? Or is it the bitterness of self-righteousness? What are you adding into, the, into your marriage? And so next week we're going to, we talked about this idea of the foundation of marriage is God's word, right? And we're going to look next week at Ephesians 5 and really take time to kind of meditate on what that passage says about how God has designed our marriages. And then the week after that, we're going to end our series talking about how forgiveness leads to a legacy in our marriages. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to call up Dave and Heather. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Let us um, continually learn to sit, remain, meditate, and feast, and abide on your love and mercy for us. And let that mercy you have for us lead and be shared and practiced in our marriages, Lord. And let our marriages be this great picture of your love for others. We love you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen.